So we are on the very last section of John this morning. John chapter 21, verses 18 through 25. It's a a short passage, uh, kind of a short sermon, at least relatively speaking. So I I have a little story I want to start with this morning. I I send out um, articles that I find on the on the internet, sometimes I attach them at the bottom of my emails to you guys, and I sent this one out several months ago, and it, it applies to what we're going to talk about this morning. So it's, a, it's called A Kernel of Wheat in the Ground. Uh, Randy Alcorn, it was, I think it was him who alerted me to it. It's the story of David and Svea Flood. Uh, S-V-E-A is her name, Svea. I, I looked it up. That's, that's how you pronounce it, Svea. Um, and they moved to Sweden sorry, moved from Sweden to the Belgian Congo with their two-year-old son in 1921. And they went with another company, a couple called the Ericsons, and they went to a mission statement station uh, in Congo, and then they felt led of the Lord to go out to the remote villages, and so they went out to spread the gospel. And they found a village, and they were rebuffed by the chief, uh, for fear of alienating the local gods, and so they set up some mud huts about a half a mile outside of the village, and they prayed for spiritual breakthrough, and they found silence. And so they had contact with one young boy who was allowed to go out to them and sell them chickens and eggs. And so Svea was able to share the gospel with him. He was converted, and then there was nothing else. So things were very difficult, both families struggled with malaria. The uh, Ericsons called it quits and moved back to the mission station, uh, but the flood stayed. Um, Svea was pregnant, and she gave birth to a baby girl, and then Svea died of malaria just days later because the malaria had weakened her so much. And David Flood was a, a broken man. He buried his wife, He handed his daughter to the Ericsons, and then he moved back to Sweden, rejecting his calling and rejecting God. Eight months later, the Ericsons died of a mysterious illness within weeks of each other. So the baby girl named Aggie was given to some American missionaries who moved back to the U.S. when she was three, and they settled in South Dakota. So Aggie attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. She married a young man named Dewey Hurst. They had two children. And he eventually became president of a Christian college in Washington State. And one day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. I don't know if you ever just happened to get one of those. Kind of a nuisance, you know, sometimes they show up from time to time. Uh, One appeared in her mailbox. And she didn't know how to read it. She didn't know how she got it. But there was a picture that caught her eye. And it was a cross uh, with the words, Svea Flood on the cross. And then the article was in Swedish. So she took the article to a faculty member at the college who uh, spoke Swedish, and she asked him to translate the article. And so this is what he summarized. It was about missionaries who had come to Congo long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of a young mother, and the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how all the whites had had to leave, but the boy grew up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. And the article said that gradually he won all of his students to Christ, and the children led their parents to Christ, and even the chief became a Christian, and today there are 600 believers in that 
village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Svea Flood. So over in Sweden, David Flood was then an old man. He had remarried, he had fathered four children, but for the most part, he had squandered his life in alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke. He had a rule in his family that you were never to mention the name of God. And so Aggie was able to find him and travel to Sweden. And when she met her birth brothers and sisters, they said, that's fine, you can meet dad, but just you need to keep in mind, you are not allowed to mention God or he flies into a rage. And so uh, she was determined and she walked into the apartment. There were bottles of alcohol and there was a 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively, and he turned and began to cry. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me, and the man stiffened, and the tears stopped, and he said, God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. But Aggie stroked his face and continued undaunted, Papa, I have a story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today, there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, she said, Jesus loves you, and he has never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes, and his body relaxed, and by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to Christ. Over the next couple of days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband returned to America, and within a few weeks, David Flood had gone into eternity. It gets better. A few years later, the Hursts were attending an evangelism conference in London where a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former uh, Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the National Church, representing 110,000 baptized believers, spoke of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. And he said, yes, madam, uh, it was Svea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and his, her memory is honored by all of us. And he embraced her in a long, sobbing hug, and he continued, you must come to Africa because your mother is the most famous person in our village. And in time, that's exactly what she did. Her and her husband, they were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father to carry her back to the mountain in a, in a cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, came when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's cross, and she knelt in the soil and gave thanks. And later he read from John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then he closed with Psalm 126, 5, those who sow in tears will reap uh, songs of joy. So every single Christian at some point, we'll eventually be forced to ask the question, why? Why does a young couple move to the Belgian Congo and suffer so many tragedies? Why would God take Svea from David? Why did that little baby have to pass through two, th two families to a third family to find her forever home? Why do lives that show so much promise end abruptly? Why do ministries that show so much promise, not seem to get off the ground? Why death? Why suffering? Why not just save us and take us home to be with Jesus forever? And we preach and we teach the sovereignty of God here at Hope, and we do so because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. He is sovereignly working for His glory and my good, and these are precious truths, and they should bring 
comfort to us, but it's not the pill that heals all wounds. And we all know that we have to, I'm sorry, we all know why, we will not know why until we get to heaven that we have had to labor in the ways that we have. If you can think that you're going to avoid ever crying out why in this life, then you're assuming that your life is going to be different than the saints that we see in the scriptures. David, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, or just a few examples. Paul, why, why do I have this thorn in the flesh? And even Jesus cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? So as we close out the Gospel of John this morning, and uh, we're going to do so by considering the trajectory of Jesus' three closest associates, James and John and Peter. Because if anyone was prepared to lead the church, this little fledgling church, into history, it would have been these three guys. Jesus spent a lot of time with Peter, James, and John. Surely they would be the most fruitful, the most successful, and and surely the most blessed. And yet, after Jesus' uh, ascension, they all went three very different directions. Let me start with James. He's actually not in our passage, but I'll be quick here. James is the, a member of these three. His brother was John. They were both called the Sons of Thunder. And he's got to be a major player in the church, right? He's got to be a major player in the decades of the church going out from Jerusalem. Well, James doesn't make it past Acts 12. Acts 12, verses 1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the So we know that King Herod, this is Herod Antipas, if you want to look him up, died at the end of Acts 12. His death was known, is known to have been about A.D. 39. So at most, that's four to five years at most after Jesus ascended back to heaven. So within five years of Jesus' ascension, James, one of those closest three, is with Jesus in heaven. So how, how can this be, right? This doesn't make any sense. James is one of the inner circle. He got all this attention from Jesus. Valuable stuff was passed on to James. How can this possibly serve God's purposes? Why didn't Jesus, you know, choose to take Thaddeus? You know, why, why James after all the time that he's poured into him? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I just got a notice from my seminary about graduation uh, that took place, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it seems a... a, a a middle-aged man had quit his job, moved to California to go to seminary, had finished his degree, walked across the stage to get his diploma, and dropped dead. So much sacrifice, so much potential for ministry, but the father said, and now your time. Why? The secret things belong to the Lord. Which brings us back to Peter. So what happened to Peter? Turn with me if you're not already there to John 21. It's just a few verses here. We'll start in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the other brothers. 
that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that? So Peter has been restored. Peter has been forgiven. He has been reconciled to Jesus. There's no doubt he feels better. His conscience is clean. Psalm 32. Beginning of Psalm 32, every time I read it, love Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What a wonderful feeling to be forgiven. Peter is forgiven. He is reconciled with Jesus. We know this in relationship to God. We know this in relationship to each other. I, there's nothing worse than being at odds with Erica. There's nothing worse. I... I I want to reconcile with her, with my children. I want to reconcile with God when I've sinned against God. I want to reconcile. And then there's that, that feeling of peace that comes in reconciliation. And so one might would think that Peter, Jesus would go easy on Peter. He's had a really hard morning. He's actually had a really hard month, for that matter. But we don't understand Jesus' ways. And Jesus says this kind of cryptic thing here. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Remember back in the upper room, Peter had declared, Jesus, I, I, I will die with you. And at the time, it wasn't time for that, but it turns out he would. Jesus, Peter would, would be crucified, as was his Lord. Here's a big why that I've had all week as I've been, as I've been studying this passage. Why does Jesus tell Peter this? I've, I've thought about this a lot. Peter lives and serves another three decades knowing that he is going to be crucified. By the time John wrote this gospel, Peter was dead. Peter was crucified probably in Rome under Nero. There's very few extra-biblical sources to talk about Peter's death. There's the, you know, sort of famous... Uh, report that Peter was was crucified upside down, but that's unreliable. I wouldn't want to know this. I wouldn't want to know that eventually I was going to be crucified, but God actually has told me plenty about what is going to happen. He's told all of us plenty. Every single one of us in this room is either going to die or we will be present when Jesus returns. We know that. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. We know that we will all stand before God and give an account for our lives, for our words, and for how we stewarded the things that he gave us. So you and I, mercifully, don't necessarily know the time or the circumstances, but we should all live accordingly because we know that our time in this life is going to come to an end. Why must Peter be crucified, John says, for the glory of God? And this tells us, too, that not only can our lives be for God's glory, but even in our death, we can die for God's glory. Lord, let it be so. We should be preparing ourselves. We should be preparing ourselves. Man, go, go read the end of Pilgrim's Progress, the, 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 the crossing over the river, you know, and, you know, one character's just sailing over and one character's struggling, but the point is Jesus gets them over to the other side. In the meantime, Jesus gives Peter one final command, follow me. Peter, after everything, just follow me. Peter followed Jesus in his life. Peter followed Jesus in his death. And I'll guarantee you, if you could talk to Peter right now, he has no regrets. So what happened to John? Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. So John never refers to himself by name. This is the one who leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And so Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? 
And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter has a simple question. What about him? And there are really only three possible motives for this question. One would be concern for his friend. I want to know, what about my friend John? What's going to happen to him? It could be straight curiosity, you know, and what about him? Or it could be jealousy. Like, that's pretty bad. What, what's he going to get? And I, I think, the more I think about it, that given Peter's transformation, I, I think it's difficult to, to conclude at this point that he's asking that out of jealousy. But either of the other two reasons would be reasonable. Peter just got some really, really tough news. Okay, Jesus, well, what about him? And the truth is, y'all, for all of us, why did this happen to me is often followed by why don't bad things happen to everybody else? And of course, it's always tempted to ask, why do the wicked prosper? So this is, this is the guy in Psalm 73, you know, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So perfectly normal that as we as believers struggle in this life and we, we are asking, why is it then that the wicked around me seem to, 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 to prosper while I struggle following Jesus? And in, in Psalm 73, the the, the psalmist comes to the conclusion, when I thought to understand this, it seemed like a weary, wearisome task to me. I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. And he, he, he realizes that, no, the wicked don't have it as easy as I think they do. But then here's a, here's a harder question. What about when our hearts are drawn to question God's goodness to, our, to the righteous? What about when it's our friends, our family, members of our own church, people that we see on Instagram or Facebook? Why do they have it so good while I suffer? Why do I seem to have it harder than everybody else? And really here, Jesus' question, it's not going to be refreshing to our hearts, but I'm just going to state it like Jesus says it. What's that to you? What if I want him to live until I return? You follow me. And I think it's interesting too. I think it's interesting that John highlights that Peter turned and saw John. He was following Jesus. They were walking somewhere. They were leaving the beach. And Peter turned around and he saw John. He looks back at John. And just like when he was in the boat. Remember when Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water, but when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to, to sink? Well, well, here Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. And, and it may be a really cliche point, but I think it's a true point. Brothers and sisters, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we open ourselves up to all kinds of temptation. To discontent? What? Why does he get that? To envy? I want that too. To anger? And even to hate and bitterness. And when we take our eyes off Jesus and look around saying, what about her? Why did he get that? Why do their lives seem to turn out so good while mine seems so miserable? We end up descending into bitterness and sadness and hate. And, and you guys, that's where a lot of people live today, is discontent with what God has given. Remember last week, Job is about how God treats his friends. Peter was a friend of God. That unmaking of Peter that we talked about last week was part of Jesus' glorious plan to make Peter a new creation. So Christian, God is unmaking you. He is remaking all of us in our circumstances. And only when we keep our eyes on Christ can we trust this. In the midst of those trials, that are Jesus' scalpel to remove the things that he needs to remove so that we can glorify him. We're not always understanding what he's doing, but if we keep our eyes on him, we can trust that the result will be glorious. And let me say one more thing, too. I think this is really important. All the talk of 
prosperity and privilege that we have today. The way of love is actually to look at other people and say, God has blessed you, and I'm happy. That's where our hearts should go as we love people. By the way, John is not still alive today. Uh, That'd be a really good story if he was hanging around waiting for Jesus to return. Uh, Apparently, someone picked up these words and started a rumor that John was going to live straight through to the return of Jesus. We do know that John lived to be an old man, Unlike the other disciples, he seems to have been the only apostle who lived into old age. He wrote the book of Revelation in exile from the island of Patmos. There's a strong tradition that at some point, John was thrown into a vat of boiling oil and he survived. None of that sounds nice. At some point, John may have started to wonder, when do I get to go home to be with Jesus? Why why did all the other, you know, why did James get to go so soon? Why am I stuck here on Patmos with all these oil burns? Jesus' words, they come as a bit of tough love, but they're Jesus' words, and we need to hear them. You don't worry about him. You follow me. This is, this is what I have for you. I've got something different for him. I'm, I'm doing a different thing for her. This is what I have for you. So I actually think this is an appropriate passage for our high school graduates, uh, probably more dying than you normally get in a graduation sermon, but there's some principles here. You graduates are going to go out of here, and you are going into a world, and you have great promise, and you have lots of opportunity. You've been well prepared, but you will go out into the world on the path that Jesus has chosen for you. And if you're following him, there is no promise that that will be smooth. In fact, you have a promise that it will be anything but smooth. And some of your classmates may seem to breeze through while you encounter difficulties. And Jesus may choose to close certain doors for you that you may think, that made perfect sense for me to be able to do that, and I can't do it. Why did they get that and not me? To which Jesus would say, don't worry about them. Follow me. Think about Svea Flood. She moved all the way to Africa with her husband to serve the Lord. They engaged in the hardest work they could do in an unreached place. She had a baby, and then she died and left her husband to care for the newborn. And at that moment, it seemed as though everything had failed. And then decades later, we find out that Jesus is still writing that story. If you follow Christ, your life will not have been a failure. And the key, the key, graduates and others, the key is to lose your life for Christ's sake so that you may find it. I love that John 12, 24 reference. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's like I said last week, in Christ, there is no more David Cleland apart from Christ. That, that David Cleland is dead. I, that David Cleland does not exist. There is only David with Christ. I, I died. All, all of the hopes and dreams that I had, you know, the, the time I moved away from Georgia and said, I'm never coming back there, and God had other plans. All of that, all of that is gone. There's only what I am, who I am in Jesus. Let's close out the book of John quickly. Uh, A word of wonder in verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would, not, that would be written. 
We've said over and over again that John is writing to fill in the gaps left by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he's writing much later. He's filling things in. And yet he says, I got to tell you, there's still so much to say. Every moment of Jesus' life was consequential. And there is no doubt, I fully expect that we will hear those stories in the age to come. I fully expect that there are many, many glorious things to hear about in Christ's incarnation. Perhaps we'll hear about some of them from Jesus himself. Perhaps we'll hear about some of them from the people who were there and who experienced them. If you like good stories, heaven is going to be a place of really, really good stories. Like infinite number of stories. Like you want to hear a good story? Just go find somebody. They've all got a good story to tell you about how Jesus changed their life, about how Jesus took something that seemed dead and produced fruit for all eternity. Good stories. It says the world cannot contain all the stories. And I, I do think that the word contain here might be better translated receive. If it was all written down, we just couldn't take it. We couldn't receive it. It's too much. It would be too much to bear. It's all too glorious. But one day we'll be able to receive it. And you don't need to doubt that what we have is exactly what we're supposed to know. Like, nothing was left out that we needed. We got, we got what we need. And then finally, I just want to finish where we started. I skipped over this three weeks ago, the end of verse 20, where John sort of like fake ends his book. Verse 30 and 31, chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you were here many, many months ago when I started John, remember when I said John hangs the key to the book on the back door? And he states his purpose clearly here in chapter 20 at the end, so that you may believe and have life in his name. Let me just say, Jesus, God, very God, lived and walked in this world for a time. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave and he ascended back into heaven. Jesus, God, very God, lived in this world, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and ascended back to heaven. Everybody in this room can understand that. Every single soul in this room can hear that. And if you believe it, you will have life in his name. There is a lot more to understand than that, but there is not less. And I hope you can see the extent to which John has highlighted in this book the perils of unbelief. As we've seen this together over these many months now, over and over again, how Jesus did miraculous things, and he said important things, and the people who heard it and saw it chose not to believe. And if you have sat in the hearing of, of, of these words of this book, you, you are hearing the testimony of the one who saw these things and wrote them down, and you too are responsible to believe or not, because they've been presented to you. John says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Do you believe this testimony? If you do, then you have life in his name. And if you do, uh, I would invite you right now. We are going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Uh, if you do believe in these things, then you are welcome to participate with us. If you're going to serve uh, the Lord's Supper, come up and, and uh, prepare to do that right now.
Um, if, if you have never heard these things, if these things are new to you, if you've heard them in a way that is different today than you've ever understood, we would love to talk to you. Um, any, any of the guys wearing these green Publix name tags, come and talk to us. We would love to share with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you too may have life in his name. Uh, they're going to hand out the bread and the cup. Hang on to it. I'll come up and read a passage together and then we'll, we will partake together.